Chapter 2 Ernest was fumbling with his front door keys in the lock when he remembered Georgia. He had found it difficult to sleep thinking about her and about the future, but when it finally came, sleep had been absolute. It was some time shortly before noon, and his unreliable body clock had finally thrust him out of bed. He would have breakfast with Walter, then they would either talk or instigate a card game. If they were in the mood and didn't know the other players, they had a reliable secret communication system they could use to scam almost anybody. Georgia. He slipped a hand into his jeans and pulled out the crinkled coaster with her number on it. London. With a seven, which meant she was really in London and not some desperate suburb in Kent or Essex. The lock finally gave out and he stepped into the street. And back it all came. As he strode into the sight of the cafe, he remembered the drug dealer, the hundred pounds, the shame. He never did speak to the manager last night, feeling so tired of the whole thing, the uncertainty, that he didn't care by midnight if he ever saw the place again. Why did everything have to be so complicated? He just wanted to play, sing a bit, and sleep. Why did everyone need a schedule? A man couldn't just play on demand like a tap, you had to capture a feeling, and nobody wanted to listen to a morose tramp-like figure after work. They wanted fun, they wanted a performance. Doing this job properly was far harder than anything they achieved behind a desk. Moving pieces of paper a little further along in a process was the shittest work on earth. It made no difference to anybody, nobody knew you, and nobody cared. His job demanded fear, passion, and a minimum technical competence beyond many people. It demanded constant practice, reinvention, and guts. Yes, he was frequently late or absent, but when he showed up and everything went well, he really showed up. Nobody ever forgot a night watching Ernest at full throttle, and yet it had come to this. A pile of rent reminders, angry dealers, disappointed friends, and his last gig slipping through his fingers. Good morning, Ernest, said Walter. He must have been following behind for a while, and now matched step with his friend. Ernest didn't feel apologetic. He wasn't going to be the first to mention the hundred quid, even though he had twice that in his pocket. He had bigger bills, bigger creditors, scarier hounds chasing him today. How did your final performance go? asked his friend Walter. Mixed, not too bad. We'll just shout if you want to make some calls. Now there was an invitation. Walter had history in the business himself. He had worked for EMI in its heyday before the private equity leeches moved in. He now cut the hair of several vixens from the 70s and 80s that he once managed. Ever heard of a sax player called Georgia? Walter shook his head. Who is she? She was there last night. Wants to make a double act with me. More tips, more gigs, bigger audience, higher profile. She's modest. Cocky? No, not like that. Calm, peaceful, business-like, possibly. Can you do some checking? Walter blew his cheeks out theatrically. Here he went. Well, I could. Ernest grasped into his pocket, trying to find a hundred quid, or at least fifty, without giving away how much else was in there. His hand came back with seventy. That's all I have, Walt. Walter carefully counted the money and pocketed it. 
When do you need to know? Right now. Neither of them had a mobile. Walter walked off to borrow the house phone. They didn't mind a few local calls going out or taking the odd message when called upon. In some ways, if the piano was his desk, this was Ernest's true office. It was where he planned and met, did some deals, collected his messages. Despite all his issues with office life and its inhabitants, there was something about having a base in town that made him feel good. Or if not good, then present. There was somewhere he could call home, no matter where he lived. With Walt gone, Ernest ordered a full English, coffee and orange juice with a simple nod in the right direction. He sat by the window, on the inside this time. Walter returned looking smug, just as Ernest's food arrived. He ordered two. Ernest tucked in, feigning obliviousness. This had cost 70 quid. Well, said Walter, they have changed sausage supplier or something like that, but it's still good. Walter folded his arms. Well, your girl is telling the truth. She's done some tours, some session work, a few gigs around London, been in a band that never got signed. If it's the same one, of course. Georgia. With a J. Ernest nodded, relieved. God knows what comes after that. I guess not an E. I believe it's an O. Thanks, Walt. They finished their food. Are you going to take her up on the offer? Well, she's in no position to offer me anything. Technically, she made a request. Well, technically, you lost your spot, so you can't offer much to her, if only she knew it. Ernest made a vague, wafting gesture. These were just details. Did you get an address? Walter took out a slip of paper. Ernest seemed to be collecting these scraps now, but Walter held it back. The other thirty, Ernest, and that twenty from last week, too. She teaches music at this place. Information was expensive these days. The extra fifty would take him into his last hundred, and he hadn't even seen his landlord yet. He slid the money across the plastic tabletop. Walter released the slip. Islington Green, not far on the bus. So no card games until after your meeting. I'd better go and cut some hair. Ernest nodded. Well, good luck. I won't let you cut the hair of anyone I like, so you need to get back to that piano. There was no obvious sign of any music school. Ernest walked up the road a little, found number 73, saw the door with several buzzers for flats, he guessed, and walked past. He stopped outside a cafe and sat down, breathing heavily and momentarily defeated. It was no surprise that this was most likely George's own flat from where she would teach pupils after school. His hands shook more than ever, and when seated, so did his legs. His body had a message for him, and it was that he was overdue a drink. Whiskey coffee, please, he told the waitress as she approached, who barely hesitated before jotting it on her pad and smiling. I know how you feel, she said with a twinkle, but Ernest doubted that. He tapped her foot while staring back in the direction of George's flat. Buying time, his coffee arrived. You don't know a music teacher near here called Georgia. The waitress hesitated and shrugged. He ordered another coffee immediately to save her the extra trip, of course, and began to sip. Ernest cradled his boozy coffee, staring deeply into the bubbles of foam on top. A movement caught his attention just at the periphery of his vision. He looked up to find Georgia sitting opposite him. Bit far north for you, isn't it? she asked. Her lips made a perfectly horizontal, thin pencil line. As Ernest hesitated, his lower jaw fell slightly. She allowed the ends of her lips to curve upwards. You're here to check me out. That's a good sign. She was so focused. You can ask the staff here. 
I do some shifts occasionally. They'll answer your questions. Did they? Georgia nodded. They did actually, yes, but I was walking past anyway. No such thing as coincidence, he said, feeling as awkward as he sounded. She shrugged. A coffee arrived for her and they sipped together for a while. What did you want to ask them about me? He hastily brought his cup up to his lips. He was right out on the edge already of what his tired, abused body could stand. Why me? he asked eventually, almost without meaning to. Why not? It's just business earnest. I think the two of us could be greater than the sum of our parts, mutually beneficial, synergistic partners. Words he would not have expected to hear on an ordinary day, but this afternoon was not ordinary, as last night had not been. He was enduring a run of abnormality, which in itself was not unpleasant. It's not just business to me, he said at last. She paused. Was he getting through now, making waves, breaking her plan? Of course, yes, she said. There is room for business, though, isn't there? You wouldn't play there twice a week if you didn't need to, and I don't mean financially. I mean some sort of spiritual need. She stopped colouring. He stayed silent. She was almost flushed now. He firmly nodded. He couldn't disagree. His dreams had died years ago. Yes, it certainly was a job. A romantic would call it a vocation. So you need some money, he said. It had seemed a logical thing to say, but it sounded shocking when his ears registered it. She definitely coloured a little more for a few seconds. Need? No. Look, it's simple. Everyone needs money, at least a bit. Some people like to earn theirs enjoying themselves like me and you. I could work full time here, it's not that difficult, but it is tiring and it takes a lot of hours to make what we can make playing in bars. I'd like to get back on the road, on the path I chose before. Before what? Or before who? Just before. Before. Ernest detected the table rocking. Now Georgia was vigorously tapping her foot. More coffee, he said. She smiled, nodded and made a sort of hand gesture through the window. At least the foot tapping had stopped. He doubted Georgia was aware she had finished her third strong coffee in less than half an hour. At least his hands were steady now and his mind was clearing too. As time moved on, Ernest sensed that he was harming or even destroying Georgia's proposal. How much effort had last night taken? The more uncomfortable Georgia became, the weaker his doubts. They transferred between them on a seesaw, not increasing or decreasing their total weight, but washing back and forth between them. Their last coffees were finished. She stared across the street in anxious silence. He made a fist and jammed it against his thigh beneath the table. Yes, this was a mess. He decided to return home. Georgia probably had all kinds of jobs and errands to run. He stood up and she jolted out of her thoughts. I'm sorry for coming here, he said stiffly. It was okay to check me out. I understand. I could have done it less, more. All this thinking will be wasted if we can't make it work musically. Let me know a couple of songs and I'll bring them. No, look, we can practice at my place. Tonight. Come at eight. They carried on making arrangements. She knew his set list. He could pick any two songs he wanted. Half a day to practice was plenty of time. And so it was settled. He left her enough money for his coffees, foolishly hoping she didn't have cause to realise his had been spiked. He went to the nearest bus stop, not passing her flat. He didn't want to walk with her even that short distance. He wanted to be away. 
It was on the bus home that the alcohol withdrawal really kicked in. A few coffees, plus some adrenaline, had just delayed the inevitable. However good he had felt, it was only short term. He knew he had plenty laid in at home, but he got nervous in case he couldn't make it that far. His legs began to dance as he sat on the top deck. He worried that he couldn't make it down the stairs. He hummed to himself, then out loud, trying all his tricks to put his anxieties out of his mind. He ran through some more ideas for tunes. He counted bus stops, churches, bars and then off-licenses. He began to sweat and shiver at the same time. Finally, as his stop grew near, his picture of it grew in his mind, an oasis in the city desert. He staggered down the stairs and through the bus doors, saluting the driver as he leapt onto the pavement. He lurched to the door of his building. He bolted up the stairs, two at a time, threw open the front door, slammed it behind him, and slipped a half-bottle of Maker's Mark out of the nearest cupboard. He took a few pulls straight from the bottle, then sank to the floor against the door. Not long now before he came right, and he would be able to focus again on the songs for tonight. After dialing the idea through to Georgia herself, he would practice for a few hours before making the return trip. (laughs) 